Let's open our Bibles to the Song of Solomon, chapters 5, 6, 7, and 8 tonight. Song of Solomon, probably written early on in Solomon's life, because we're told, I think it's in chapter 6 or 7, that he has roughly at this time about 140 wives, most of them by arrangement. Probably here, this one he considers probably what you'd call the love of his life. It's written as if she is the only one. At this time, Solomon has many wives. Sunday we talked about the different interpretations that we find in the Song of Solomon. Straight up forward, it's a very romantic song broken up into five different songs. In chapter 5 tonight, we'll begin the fourth of the five songs as it's put together as one complete volume. And basically, it's uh, very intimate, very sensual, and it's basically a book of a love relationship between a husband and wife. And then on Sunday, and what we're going again this Sunday, most commentators agree that it is a parallel between the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the nation of Israel, called the bride, his bride, in several places. We mentioned Hosea 2, 5 on Sunday as a reference to Israel being the, the wife and the bride. And then in the New Testament, um, the study was about us being the bridegroom, waiting for our bridegroom, the church being the bride, and the bridegroom being the Lord Jesus. Went to Matthew chapter 25, talked about the five virgins who were wise, and in anticipation We're constantly aware and waiting and watching for the day when the big event would happen, and that's when our Lord Jesus Christ comes. No man knows the day or the hour. I believe we have the copies of uh, Zola Levitz. We had a lot of people want copies of that, so we have them ordered. If they're not here now, they will be by Sunday. Tonight, as we get into it, people have taken their liberty in trying to piece this all together between the main characters, which is, of course, a plain, ordinary, hardworking shepherd gal who's simply called the Shulamite, and the king of Israel. Dr. Ironside guessed an assumption that uh, his input on this, he sort of takes a very romantic view that The Shulamite girl has no idea she fell in love with the king of Israel. And I'll read just a little bit of Ironside's take. And I I like it. I like to think it's true. I don't know if it is true or not, but this is his interpretation of it before we get into the study tonight. He says, One day while the girl was tending her sheep, a handsome shepherd appeared, and he fell in love with her. He goes on to say, I must run ahead enough to tell you it's a picture of Christ and the church. That is, this is what he said to her. As the lily among thorns, so is my love among the daughters. Song of Solomon 2.2. Again he says, behold, thou art fair, my love. Behold, thou art fair. Thou hast dove eyes. Must have been a Calvary Chapel type person to have dove eyes. Caught that one, all right. Within thy flocks, thy hair is a flock of goats that appear on Mount Gilead. Fifteen different places are going to be referenced to in the Song of Solomon, and I'll mention some of them a little later, but here's one of them. This is a beautiful poetic language. It's a picture of the love of Christ for the church. Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. And finally, she gave her heart to the shepherd, and she's wooed. Uh, to Solomon, not knowing he's the king of all the land. Uh, verse 3 of chapter 2, As the apple tree among the trees of the wood, so is my beloved among the sons. I sat down under his shadow with great delight, and his fruit was sweet to my taste. One day she was in the vineyard working the vines. And it's a reference that goes on talking, verse 15, that the little foxes would come and they had to put him up or otherwise... The little fox would eat the grapes. And so she's busy tending the vineyard, lifting up the grapes. And while she's doing this, down the road comes a pillar of smoke. Who is this that's coming out of the wilderness like pillars of smoke 
perfumed with myrrh and frankincense with all powders of the merchants. That's chapter three, verse six. The cry is passed on. Behold, King Solomon is coming. But she's busy, and she doesn't know King Solomon. Then someone comes to her excitingly and says to her, Oh, King Solomon, he's asking for you. And she says, asking for me? I don't know King Solomon. I never met him. So evidently, Ironside's take on this is Solomon never let on, as they fell in love with each other, who he was. And um, why is he asking for me? I don't know King Solomon. I never met him. Why would he ask for me? The voice of my beloved, behold, he comes leaping upon the mountains, skipping upon the hills. My beloved is like a roe or a young heart. Behold, he stands behind our wall. He, he looks forth at the windows, showing himself through the lattice. My beloved spake and said to me, rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. That's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. I add some day to that. Do you know who King Solomon is? Why, he is her shepherd, and he has come for her. And so I like sort of the romantic slant that Ironside puts in it, that she had no idea that she fell in love, as um, I think we're going to, we know that um, um, our Lord and Savior is King of King and Lord of Lords. We're aware of that, but not really. You know, when we see him in all of his glory and we're attributed to him as the apple of his eye and his bride, and what a day that's going to be when he comes, rise, comes uh, riding and calls us home to be with him. That's how we'll close our study tonight. Um, as we get into chapter 5, I'm just going to pretty much re- read this straight through. It pretty much speaks for itself. I will stop a couple times and make make comments, but I want to get the sad part out of the way here. I think this would have, was a very ideal time for Solomon in that um, he was truly in love. Like I said earlier, a lot of his marriages were um, military agreements that were made in those days so that there would be peace. David delivered the kingdom to Solomon and he had peace all around. And one of the customs to maintain the peace was to marry somebody from that particular um, tribe that would have been an enemy. But this would have been Solomon's real true love. And so, unfortunately, when he's old, uh, turn to 1 Kings chapter 11 quickly. And um, uh, here's a tragedy. You just want to say, say it ain't so, Solomon. The wisest man who ever lived, according to the scriptures. And there's one verse in particular here where the Lord rebukes him. Now, get to it in verse 9. But this is now Solomon when he is old. Chapter 11, 1 Kings, verse 1. But King Solomon loved many foreign women, as well as the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and the Hittites. From the nations of whom the Lord had said to the children of Israel, you shall not intermarry with them, nor they with you. Now this was Sunday's picture that we, we went when Abraham wanted a son for Isaac. He says we can't take a daughter for Isaac from the people in the land of Cana. No way. You've got to go back to Mesopotamia. Uh, to my brother's house and find a wife for him there. Well, Solomon did not heed that. For they surely will turn away your hearts after their gods. Solomon clung to these in love. Now, Ahab was bad, but he got worse when he married Jezebel, who introduced Baal worship to Israel. So as bad as Ahab was, he got worse And um, you have all of Israel involved with the 450 prophets of Baal um, and Israel being won over because of one woman. But Solomon had many. He had 700 wives. (laughs) I can't believe that. Uh, And 300 
concubines and his wives turned away his heart. And you just want to say, say it ain't so. But it was so, verse four, when Solomon was old that his wives turned his heart after other gods and his heart was not loyal to the Lord his God as was the heart of his father David. For Solomon went after the Ashtaroth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord. It did not fully follow the Lord as his father David. Then Solomon built high places for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, of the hill that's east on Jerusalem, the Mount of Olives, and for Moloch, the abominations of the people of Ammon. And he did likewise for all his foreign wives who burned incense and sacrificed to their God. Now, interesting verse in nine. So the Lord became very angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord God of Israel who had appeared to him twice. And this is, um, falls under the category to whom much is given, much is required. For those who've had supernatural experiences, I can't help but think of uh, Paul being taken up into the third heaven. Well, what went along with that? Well, a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan, to buffet him continually. What for? Keep him humble. So he wouldn't make a stupid mistake like Solomon did here. It's divine revelation. Um, so don't be disappointed with to whom much is given, much is required. And uh, here, the Lord is making a, a point. Look, I appeared to you in person twice. And the first time was when he asked for wisdom and the Lord gave it to him. And he said, and I'm gonna give you a whole lot more besides that. And... Um, And he had commanded him concerning this thing that he should not go after other gods, but he did not keep what the Lord had commanded. Therefore the Lord said to Solomon, because you have done this, have not kept my commandments and statutes, which I have commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom away from you and give it to your servants. Nevertheless, I will not do it in your day. For the sake of your father David, I will tear it out of the hand of your son. And that's exactly what happened with Rehoboam came to the throne, it it was uh, divided because of Jeroboam who took 10 tribes and started what they call Israel. And the two southern tribes were Judah and Benjamin. So this division that took place was a direct judgment of Solomon's sin that was postponed because the Lord loved David so much he wouldn't have it happen in Solomon's time. However, I will tear the whole kingdom and I'll give you one tribe for your son for the sake of my servant David and for the sake of Jerusalem, which I have chosen. All right, there's the bad news. That's the end of the story for Solomon. Let's go back to a more precious time uh, when we have this beautiful love story, which is really um, poetic, uh, very sensual, and expressing the love between a husband and a wife. Chapter 5, verse 1. I've come to my garden, my sister, my spouse, and I have gathered my myrrh with my spice. I have eaten my honeycomb with my honey, and I have drunk my wine with my milk. So this would be the beloved. To his friends, eat, O friends, drink, yes, drink deeply, O beloved ones. Now we have um, the bride's second dream of separation. Here she's called the Shulamite. She says, I slept, but my heart is awake. It is the voice of my beloved. He knocks, saying, open for me, my sister, my love, my dove, my perfect one, for my head is covered with dew, my locks with the drops of the night. But I've taken off my robe. How can I put it on again? I've washed my feet. How can I defile them? But my beloved put his hand by the latch of the door, and my heart yearned for him. I rose to open for my beloved, and my hands dripped with myrrh, my fingers with liquid myrrh, on the hands of the lock. I opened for my beloved, but my beloved had turned away and he was gone. And my heart went out to him 
when he spoke. I sought him, but I could not find him. I called him, but he gave me no answer. The watchmen who went about the city, they found me, they struck me, they wounded me. The keepers of the walls took my away, my veil away from me. And um, so she's roughed up by people who doesn't uh, realize who she is. Now the bridegroom's handsomeness is praised as a Shulamite says, I charge you, O daughters of Jerusalem, if you find my beloved, that you tell him I'm lovesick. The daughters of Jerusalem reply, what is your beloved more than another beloved, O fairest among women? So evidently she was a very beautiful gal. What is your beloved more than another beloved that you charge us so? And the Shulamite responds, well, my beloved is white and ruddy, chief among 10,000. His head is like the finest gold. His locks are wavy and black as a raven. His eyes are like doves by the rivers of water, washed with milk and fitly set. His cheeks are like the bed of spices, like banks of scented herbs. His lips are lilies, dripping liquid myrrh. His hands are rods of gold set with beryl. His body is carved ivory inlaid with sapphires. His legs are pillars of marble set on base of a fine gold. His countenance is like Lebanon, excellent as a cedar. His mouth is most sweet. Yes, he is altogether lovely. This is my beloved, and this is my friend, O daughters of Jerusalem." There's going to be 15 different references as we make our way as we finish up the book that's alluded to, and um, primarily in their places of reference that has to do with describing the affection of either the bridegroom or the bride. So we'll have, I won't mention all of them, we have Lebanon and Gettys mentioned, Jerusalem is mentioned, Mount Gilead, Mount Carmel, even Damascus is made reference as we get into um, these verses tonight. Chapter 6, the daughters of Jerusalem. Where has your beloved gone, O fairest among women? Where has your beloved turned aside? We'll seek him with you. And the Shulamite answered, Well, my beloved has gone to his garden, to the beds of spices, to feed his flocks in the gardens, and to gather lilies. And this verse here is uh, kind of personal to Judy and I. I am my beloved's, and my beloved's is mine. That's what my wedding ring says in Hebrew. It says, I am, I can't read it. You can read it from right to left. It's in Hebrew. But that's what it says. I am my beloved's, and my beloved's is mine. And he feeds his flock among the lilies. And now the beloved Bride's beauty is praised. O oh, my love, you are beautiful as Tezra, lovely as Jerusalem, again to other locations, awesome as an army with banners. Turn your eyes away from me, for they have overcome me. Your hair is like a flock of goats going down from Gilead, and your teeth are like a flock of sheep. Now, in my wildest imagination, I can't figure that one out. (laughs) Your teeth are like a flock of sheep. I don't know. They're all white. They look good. What? Hair I can go with. The teeth here, I don't know. Which have come up from the washing. Each one bears twins, and none is barren among them. In other words, she's got a, a whole, all of her teeth are in place. Like a piece of a pomegranate are your Uh, temples behind your veil. There are 60 queens and 80 concubines and virgins without number. Now this is where we figure this was written early because we just read in 1 Kings that he had 700 and 300 concubines. But at this writing, he has 60 queens and 80 concubines or 140. But my dove, my perfect one, is the only one. So even though he had all these other wives, evidently, this is probably 
Well, we're told here, he says the only one that he really, really has this uh, real heartfelt, romantic relationship with. The only one of her mother, the favorite of the one who bore her. The daughters saw her and called her blessed. The queens and the concubines, they praise her. Who is she who looks forth as the morning, fair as the moon, clear as the sun, awesome as an army with banners? And now the Shulamite. I went down to the garden of nuts to see the, 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 the verdure of the valley, to see whether the vine had budded and the pomegranates had, had bloomed. Now, just coming back from Israel, <clears throat> we can't wait to get to the street vendors who squeeze the fresh pomegranate juice. they got these huge presses, and they take them and slice them in half, and they put half in there, and they crank that baby down. And it takes about four good-sized pomegranates, about this size, to get one glass of fresh pomegranate juice. And once you've had the real thing, boy, there's nothing like fresh-squeezed pomegranate juice. So much so that last year when we came back, from Israel, we went out and bought this huge press. But then you gotta wait, there's only a few places that actually have, where can actually get pomegranates. And the pomegranates have bloomed, nothing tastier. For I was even aware my soul had made me as the chariots of my noble people. Now the beloved and his friends, I'll comment on this one, Return, return, O Shulamite, return, return, that we may look upon you. McGee takes off on this particular verse. The statement is made that the bride of Christ will be for the demonstration of God's grace throughout the ages. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us through Christ Jesus. Now that's Ephesians 2, 7. In other words, all of the created universe is going to see us. None of us is worthy to be there, but we're going to be there because we are in Christ. It is because he loved and gave himself for us. We will be there for his glory and for our good. I can't think of anything better than that. So return, O Return, O Shulamite, return, return, that we may look upon you. Romans 8 says all creation is waiting for the curse to be removed. We'll be talking more about this on Sunday as we get in talking about a little bit piggybacking from Sunday and talking about uh, the covenants that God has made. Um, There's some false teaching out there called dual covetanism, and I'll explain that. And um, the new covenant that primarily the book of Hebrews is about. How is God going to deal with Israel during the millennium? And how does that contrast with God dealing with the church? They're two separate covenants. So that's where we're sort of headed for on, on Sunday. Our place is different than Israel's place. And um, that's just a little teaser for Sunday. But for the countless ages to come, um, we're going to be the spectacle of the, of the universe. The Bible says concerning salvation that the angels desire to look into it. They don't, can't grasp it. They desire to look into these things. The Bible also tells us that we're going to judge angels. Let that one sink in for a bit. So the last verse of chapter six, the Shulamite. What would you see in the Shulamite? As it were, the dance of the double camp, question. All right, brings us to chapter seven. Just describing now the physical beauty and attributes. The beloved, how beautiful are your feet in sandals, O princess daughter. The curve of your thighs are like jewels, the works of your hands of skillful workmen. Your navel is a rounded goblet, which lacks no blended beverage. 
Your waist is a heap of wheat. Now, I don't know if that's a compliment or not, but I'm just leaving that the way it is. <laughs> Take that any way you want to. Set about with lilies, and your two breasts are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle. Your neck is like an ivory tower. Your eyes are like the pools in Heshbon by the gates of Bath Rabin. Now, all this is good so far, but I'm thinking your nose is like the Tower of Lebanon. (laughs) I don't know how I would take that if he's trying to flatter me, which looks towards Damascus, another reference point. Your head crowns like Mount Carmel, another place mentioned. We were just on Mount Carmel, and it was raining that day, and we waited for the little church to open up there, Pastor Bill Goodrich gave a study and we had testimonies there. And um, it's an A-site. And it's an A-site up there because when you get to the top of the, the building that they have there Mount, uh, on Mount Carmel, um, when Elijah called the fire down and all the people said, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. And all the prophets of Baal twisted, shouted all day long and had absolutely no result. And Elijah prays a simple little prayer, Oh Lord, show him who you are. And fire immediately came down, devoured the offering, devoured the stones that was there, leapt up all the water that Elijah had poured on it. And um, uh, it's interesting because Before that, Elijah told Ahab, it's not going to rain until I say so. And that was three and a half years had passed because after that event, Elijah gets down and and he begins to pray that it would rain. Prayed seven times. And uh, he kept asking this boy to go check out over the Mediterranean. And the reason I believe it's an A-site is from this vantage point, you can see the Mediterranean Sea from Mount Carmel, but also at the bottom of the hill is this creek that's still there where the 450 prophets of Baal were executed. So in traveling the land, it really does bring the Bible to life. In the view, unfortunately, it was raining because it has um, a complete view of the Valley of Megiddo. And when it talks in the book of Revelation, the distance in furlongs, and you do the math, it's exactly 174 miles. And if you would go from Mount Carmel, which is where they would come in at Haifa, and the nations of the world are going to be gathered together for the Battle of Armageddon, it's interesting that it's exactly 174 miles from that spot to Basra or Petra to the mile. So that's in Revelation 16. I thought, well, that's very, very interesting. Right, right down to the mile. And um, so the reference here, again, I got sidetracked on Mount Carmel. Your head crowns like Mount Carmel, one of the most beautiful vistas you're, you're gonna see in all of Israel. The hair of your head is like purple. Well, that's nothing new. We have girls with purple hair today. The king is held captive by its tresses. How fair and how pleasant you are. O love with your delights. This statute of yours is like a palm tree and your breasts like its clusters. I said I will go up to the palm trees and I will take hold of its branches. Let now your breasts be like clusters of the vine, the fragrance of your breath like apples and the the roof of your mouth like the best wine. So he's really laying on the sweet, sweetheart talk here to her. And she responds in verse uh, 9, the Shulamite, the wine goes down smoothly for my beloved, moving gently the lips of sleepers. And this one is, uh, I have underlined, it's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. I am my beloved's, and his desire is towards me. And to think 
that the God creator of the universe. We read that God is love. We read it on Sunday when we went to 1 John chapter four. And it says God is love. And um, he who knows God loves God. And if you don't know God, you really can't love. Well, the object of love happens to be you and me. And this is just such a precious verse. I am my beloved's. And his desire is towards me. Um, There is no need in the the Trinity. There's nothing lacking that they have a need for something. But he has desires to express his love that's been demonstrated to us. If you want to know what the Father is like, Jesus said, look at me. I am the Father, our one. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. That's what he told Philip. And what did Jesus do? Went around doing good. Just doing good. Greater love has no man than this that he'd lay down his life for a friend. And so he has desires, but those desires are towards you and me. I really encourage that this is a Selah type moment in reading the Bible. These verses. Verse Three of chapter six, I am my beloved's and my beloved's is mine. I am my beloved's and his desires towards me. The other verse that we was a little bit earlier is um, rise up my love and come away. <clears throat> and now Lane would have touched on that um, last week in the first four verses. Okay, and his desire is towards me. Come my beloved, let us go forth to the field And let us lodge in the villages. Let us get up early to the vineyards. Let us see if the vine has budded, uh, whether the grape blossoms are open and the pomegranates are in bloom. And there I will give you my love. The mandrakes gave off a fragrance, and at our gates are pleasant fruits, all manner new and old, which I have laid up for you, my beloved. So this is definitely um, intimacy, Uh, between um, Solomon and his Shulamite gal. Before I finish chapter 8, I would like to go to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And um, the Bible does address sexuality in 1 Corinthians 7 between a husband and a wife. And uh, I'm just going to read it and I'll comment in a couple places here. <clears throat> Let me just tell you a little bit about Corinth. I actually saw it coming up. Um, when we were flying back, I was, we, on the 777s, they had the, the flight programmed right in so you can see right, right where, you, where you are. So I knew we were just getting past Athens and I knew we were getting close to Corinth because when you get to Corinth, they have what is called the, the Corinthian Canal. It's like the Suez Canal, only a lot smaller, and it was built a long, long time ago. So I'm checking this thing out from um, 37,000 feet or something something like that. But um, I can't remember what year we took a side trip um, to there, but we were in Corinth. I remember Bruce and Teresa Mueller gave their testimony there. And during the Bible study, the city of Corinth, up on a hill, is where the, the um, temple prostitutes would come down on a Friday evening. And Corinth was completely given over to this perversion. So because of this, this was a part of their worship and um, uh, their idolatry. And they were basically prostitutes. And there was a thousand of them that came down every weekend. So Paul has to deal now with correcting them as far as uh, um, what's proper and what is not proper when it comes to sexual relations. So thus we have 1 Corinthians, written to Corinthians, because this was a big problem in Corinth, um, principles for the married life. Verse one, now concerning the things of which you wrote me. So they had questions the Corinthian believers. He says, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. 
Nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife, and let each woman have her own husband. Let the husband render to his wife the affection that's due her, and likewise also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. That's what it means by these two shall become one. And then he takes it a step farther. He says, make sure you do not deprive one another except with consent for a time. Um, Another way of saying that is saying, oh, honey, I I have a headache tonight or something along those lines. (laughs) And in other words, don't withhold or don't purposely um, withhold yourself because the scriptures are are clear here that um, um, it can lead to Satan entering in. Let me read read it again. Do not deprive one another except with consent. In other words, you're in agreement for a time that you may give yourself to fasting and prayer. So there is a time to withhold yourself. When a person fasts, he deprives himself of uh, food. Um, Sometimes it's a, um, a juice fast or something like that. And the idea is to make the flesh weak and to deny the body of pleasures And with sexual intimacy, of course, there's a pleasure that goes along with it. And um, to be frank, let's get right down to it. I mean, uh, the way the Lord created it, God is a creator of sex, right? He created Adam and Eve, and the first thing he said was what? Be fruitful and multiply. You don't need a strong concordance to get the definition of what that means. Be fruitful and multiply. Your air drive is probably number one. Go a couple minutes at most. Um, Your water drive is probably number two. Make it, well, some people can make it longer, but a week maybe. Your hunger drive, they say, well, Jesus made it 40 days and 40 nights, so did Moses. But you'll wither away eventually if you don't eat. But right up next to that is a built-in hormonal Drive, that's your sexual drive. That's just a part of, as much of of our our physical functions as breathing, as eating, and water. And it's a drive that is meant to be satisfied, and fulfilled, and enjoyed. And indeed, if you want to sum up the Song of Solomon in a nutshell, it is the joys of marital bliss, sexually speaking. That's addressed in the Bible. That's the great thing about the word of God. If you go through all of it, you can hit every issue, including this one that deals with sexuality. So do not deprive except for consent. In other words, you're in agreement that you may give yourself to fasting and prayer. But then he says, and come together again so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. And the idea there is... um, that you're not tempted to wander off after others. He says, but I say this as a concession, not as a commandment. This is my advice, in other words. Paul says, I wish that all men were even as I myself, but each one has his own gift from God, one in this manner and another in that. But I say to the unmarried and to the widows, it is good for them if they remain even as I am. But, it's not a law, but if they cannot exercise self-control, Let them marry, and if you have any doubts about what he just said, it is better to marry than to burn with passion. So if that sexual drive is causing you to lust, Paul just comes right out and says it's better to be married. And better to be married than to burn with passion. All right, let's make our way back to the last chapter of the Song of Solomon. Chapter 8. Oh, that you were like my brother who nursed at my mother's breast. If I should find you outside, I would, I would kiss you. I would not be despised. I would lead you and 
bring you into the house of my mother, she who used to instruct me, and I would cause you to drink of spiced wine, of the spice of my pomegranates. To the daughters of Jerusalem, his left hand is under my head, and his right hand embraces me. I charge you, O daughters of Jerusalem, do not stir up nor awaken love until it pleases. Now in verse five, the question, who is this coming up from the wilderness, leaning upon her beloved? I awakened you under the apple tree, and there your mother brought you forth. There she bore you, brought you forth. The Shulamite to her beloved, set me as a seal upon your heart. Um, Come thou fount, here's my heart, Lord, Take and seal it. Why? Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord. Take and seal it. Seal it for your courts above. That's what she's asking. Set your seal upon your heart and a seal upon your arm. For love is as strong as death, jealousy as cruel as a grave. Its flames are flames of fire, a most vehement flame. And many waters cannot quench love, nor can the floods drown it. If a man would give for love all the wealth of his house, it would be utterly despised. How deep and how broad and how wide is the love of God, and what can quench it? God's love that he has set upon us cannot be quenched. It's his nature, it's who he is. He can't love you any more or any less. If you're doing great with the Lord, he doesn't love you anymore. If you're going through a hard time, he doesn't love you any less. He just is. His love for his only begotten son is equivalent to the love that he has for you. Can I say that again? Just because that is who he is, his love is not with measure. It is total, and his love for his own son is equivalent to what he loves you. And he can't describe it in any other form than in the marriage relationship. That's the close as, uh, um, as we can describe it. As a matter of fact, let's just hit Ephesians if you weren't here on Sunday. Let's go back to uh, the book of Ephesians 5 and driving this point home. Ephesians 5 is, of course, uh, um, the relationship. It talks about, again, the wife's responsibility in verse 22 and submitting to her husbands. In verse 25, um, Paul writing, husbands love your wives as Jesus also loved. And so we have this given to us in the marriage relationship. And... um, when you, you think you got it all figured out, okay, I got it all figured out. It's all about the wife's role and the husband's role. But then, in verse 32, when you think you got it all figured out, he said, everything I just said is a great mystery. This marriage relationship and how it works. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. So everything, uh, the love relationship between a husband and his bride As he lays it out here, he now is saying it's a mystery. It's a mystery between Jesus Christ and his church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. All right, let's finish this out. (laughs) Why he would choose to finish it out this way. Usually Lane gets stuck with these verses and I'm, happened to be out of town or something. But I only made it half. He only, got, he only had to do the first half of it. But they start talking about the Shulamite's uh, sister here. We have a little sister and she has no breast. What shall we do for our sister in the day when she is spoken for? If she is a wall, we'll build upon her. A battlement of silver. And if she is a door, we will enclose her with board boards of cedar. As for the Shulamite, she's boasting a little bit. 
I'm a wall and my breasts are like towers. Then I, then I became in his eyes as one who found peace. And Solomon had a vineyard at Belhaman. There's another location. He leased the, the vineyard to keepers. Everyone was to bring forth its fruit, a thousand pieces of silver. And this is how it concludes. My own vineyard is before me. You, O Solomon, may have a thousand, and those who keep its fruit, two hundred. You who dwell in the gardens, the companions, listen for your voice. Let me hear it. And then the final words of the Shulamite. Make haste, my beloved, and be like a gazelle. Um, We were driving from Jericho to Jerusalem, and our guide, we were going to Genesis line, so we were off the road. And he gets all excited. He goes, look, 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 a gazelle. You never see him. And we saw three of them on our, on our way going. And um, um, so I have a visual. Be like a gazelle. And when we saw them, we saw them just kind of prancing off as we were driving away. Or a young stag on the mountain of Spices. In other words, make haste, come quickly. There's a poet whose name is Herbert. And let's conclude this beautiful book because it's all summed up in Herbert's poem. And we'll have made our way through another book of the Bible and on our way into Isaiah. But this captures the whole book. It's a beautiful poem. He says, come, Lord, my head doth burn, and my heart is sick. While thou thou dost ever, ever stay, thy long deferrings would make me to the quick. My spirit grasps night and day. Oh, show thyself to me, or take me up to thee. Yet if thou stayest still, why must I stay? My God, what is this world to me, this world of woe? Hence all ye clouds, away, away. I must get up and see. Oh, show thyself to me. Oh, take me up to thee. We talk of harvest. There are no such things. But when we leave our corn and hay, there is no fruitful year but that which brings the last and love, loathe the dreadful day. Oh, show thyself to me, or take me up to thee. The reoccurring phrase, as it's set out in three paragraphs, is, oh, show thyself to me, or take me up to thee. The book of Song of Solomon ends with, make haste, my beloved, and be like a gazelle or a young stag. In other words, Come quickly, Lord Jesus. You know, a great way to end this book is by going to the very last book in the Bible and the very last verses in the Bible. Revelation chapter 22, really easy to find. It's how the Bible ends. And what we as a church, as we look at whom not seeing you love, and like we talked about on Sunday, we want to be those virgins who are wise, who know that they're born again. You can't love the Lord. You can't love anybody that you don't know personally. So anyone want to give me an amen on that? You can't love somebody you don't know. And yet the only commandment he gives us is to love him. But taking it a step farther, yearning. That's what I like about this poem by Herbert. Uh, this world of woe, hence of clouds away. And I'm sick and tired of this world. And I'm getting sick and tired of the news, and I'm getting sick and tired of, of, uh, of uh, what could happen next. I got the chance to talk with Elijah Abraham today. We talked for over an hour on the phone. And um, he's telling me some of his precautions that he has, he has to take just in, in light of the, the days that we're living with. 
And that's exactly what the Bible promised right before Jesus would come, that the days would wax worse and worse. So what do we see happening? The days are waxing worse and worse. The focal point of the world is where? Well, tomorrow it's going to be Lambeau Field. But besides that, where it's going to be is the Middle East. It's all hitting the fan in the Middle East. Is it going to heat up between uh, Russia and Turkey right now as we're watching this thing unfold? They're a NATO country. What are we going to do if they start talking tough? It's all happening exponentially, quick. Jesus said when these things begin to happen, it'll be like labor pains. And they're going to be happening in quick succession. And then he says, when you see these things begin to happen, look up, because your redemption is drawing nigh. But it's one thing to have all this knowledge of eschatology and knowing what's going to happen, and it can mean absolutely nothing if you're one of the five foolish virgins who doesn't have any oil, who doesn't actually have a love relationship, and a yearning and a longing to be out of here and with the one who promised As he said, I go to prepare a place for you that where I am you may be also. So we read, this is how the Bible ends, not with more information, but with a a cry between the Holy Spirit and the bride, verse 17. And the Spirit and the bride say, come. And let him who testifies say, come. Let him who is thirsty, come. And whoever desires, let him drink of the water of life freely. And then verse 20, the Lord's promise in red letters. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming quickly. Amen. Even so, come Lord Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and we'll close as we made it through another interesting love story in the Bible. Lord, thank you for the Song of Solomon. And the exhortation that we have as the picture it paints of one of love and romance, not of legalism and do's and don'ts, activity, spiritual activity, which you openly rebuked the church of Ephesus as they seem to have everything going as far as the work projects, but they had left their first love. Lord, if that's any of us tonight, And we take anything home with us tonight. The Song of Solomon reminds me of a fool's wisdom song that says, like a love that's first grown. And that love that we have when we're first enchanted. And Lord, if we've gotten away from that, you told the church of Ephesus to do three things. To remember, repent, and then to return to their first love. So Lord, help us remember what it was like when we first fell in love with you, as Solomon did with the Shulamite gal. And if we've gotten away, then help us to acknowledge that and repent of it, and then return, just get back to that first one-on-one love relationship with you that brings about true contentment and satisfaction, but mostly a longing to be with you. So thank you for the study. Bless your word to our hearts tonight. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.